Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media, where we drive a tractor across state and eat a bunch of food. Mmm, <laughs> food. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm Takeshi. With me, I have Santos. And today, we're going to talk about something that's not an anime. Wow. <laughs> it took this Man, long. <laughs> take a minute to let that sink in. <laughs> Every now and then we do this. <laughs> Every once in a while we do it, but not all the time. But we're going to talk about a movie directed by David Lynch called A Straight Story. For once, I don't need Google Translate. Right. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was directed by David Lynch, produced by Mary Sweeney, Neil Edelstein, and Alan Sarday. Sard, and it was written by John Roach and Mary Sweeney, and it's starring Richard Farnsworth, Sissy Spacek, mm-hmm. Spacek, Spacek, okay, and Harry Dean Stanton, and the music it was done by Angelo Badalamenti. Oh man, Italian. Anyway, he's done the soundtrack for all of David Lynch movies and films, especially. Twin Peaks. He's his Danny Elfman? Yep, he definitely is. The intro of Straight Story does sound like Twin Peaks. It's really, really funny. Okay, so the budget was $10 and it made about $6.2 in North America. It was released in the United States, United Kingdom, and in France. It won some awards, but not a lot. I think it got, like, Best Actor... And it was nominated for other things, too. And it was a French movie, though, like, produced by French. That's And then did Disney pick it up later? I'm assuming so, yeah. David Lynch, all in all, is kind of like this independent director. And most of the time, he'll do a film to make money, or he'll fall in love with the script and he'll have to do it. Like, he did Dune so he could do another movie. So he made money from this one movie so he could turn around and make his own movie. I watched this one, the Bart, and he got really excited about it because he hadn't seen it in a long time. And then he was looking at it. So the person who wrote it and produced it, the Mary Sweeney, it said something that they worked together a long time, right? So did she like rope him into weird projects? That was his girlfriend at the time. Oh, Okay. Let's see what else she has worked on. She's helped out with Twin Peaks and Lost Highway. And it looks like she was like talking about the script that her and John were working on. And at first, David Lynch wasn't really into it because, you know, he likes to write his own scripts. And so 
he read the script and he fell in love with it. And he was like, I have to direct this film. I have to do it. I always heard through the grapevine that like Disney was the one who hired him to do it and they handpicked him, but it's not true. <laughs> I've heard a lot of different stories about like the actors and actresses. So that's not true. But Disney did bring it out into the biggest theaters, even though it only made $6.2 million. Everybody kind of forgets where Disney was during this time, because this was released in 1999. This was before Disney bought Pixar. This is before Disney bought Marvel and Star Wars. Disney wasn't doing that well. I mean, they weren't going to go bankrupt or anything like that, but they weren't doing as amazing as they are now. Now that they're a monopoly. <laughs> yes. I don't understand how they get away with this shit. Studio Ghibli, they hadn't purchased those either, huh? No. But they do bring it over here and they do translate it. So, But they didn't probably have that contract yet either. So you're right. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you're, yeah. so you're saying, yeah. like, this was pre-Disney's, like, buying out of other creative studios and everything and buying joining up forces with other places and they even went as far as letting some japanese video game company use their characters to put into a role-playing video game which nowadays they would not allow that cease and desist <laughs> the only reason why they let them do it now is because it's such a popular franchise where if they approached them nowadays they'd be like skip <laughs> yeah, you're right. This movie, like you said, came out in 1999, but watching it feels older almost. Yeah, it kind of feels like this weird little Western Ace movie. <laughs> like... Definitely, it does. It has like this. Well, let's get into the plot first. It yeah. is based on a true story. Mm -hmm. First off, it is an autobiography about this character named Alan Strait. And it seems like he's got a good 10 years left in his life. He can't see too well. He can't walk. He's at that age where you're old. Falling apart. You're falling apart a little bit. And he has a daughter who kind of stutters a lot, but she takes care of him. And they live in this rinky-dinky little town in Iowa. And he gets a phone call saying that his brother had a stroke. And... They haven't talked to each other for over 10 years, and it was really on bad terms. And so he figured this is probably going to be the last time he'll ever see him. He needs to go see him right now. Because he couldn't drive a car, and he didn't really want to take a bus, what he does is he builds a little trailer, and he takes his little lawnmower, you drive around, that goes about five miles an hour and drives it all the way to Wisconsin. It's a really touching story. And of course, like there is a scene where his first lawnmower breaks down. So he turns around and just shoots it and buys a John Deere at a dealership. Yeah. <laughs> but I watched some reviews of it. I think one of them is some points about this movie and what makes it so special because okay yes it is kind of mundane it, it does have these points where he's just driving his little lawnmower five miles an hour it does feel like you're going through this journey with him but then at the same time it's stylized like a david lynch movie you know i will admit i have not watched any david lynch movies i don't think all the way through i've seen 
parts of Wild at Heart, parts of Blue Velvet, no Twin Peaks. So I'm like not well like watched in well versed so but just the opening scenes of this film i was like this is a david lynch film Uh, you feel the shots and the rain and the color Uh, yeah it just had kind of like an odd feel to it it does but it's a touching story but it pulls you in it makes because it's it is taking something mundane and bringing like this other level to it there's a little bit of surrealness to the some of the scenes like there's a scene where he's going through this one part of town and there's four people sitting in the lawn watching across the street firefighters you know like there's a house on fire but it's like it's like a practice house so it's like a drill so they're watching firefighters like put out this fake fire and so that's like going on in the background so it's some strange kind of odd stuff like that Uh, yeah it's a little offbeat yeah. It has a David Lynch vibe to it, but it is in this kind of mundane story. But at the same time, it is an amazing story. This guy driving his f- lawnmower hundreds of miles to go see his brother because he know his brother's going to die soon. And it's he took five weeks to get there. Over five weeks, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> you know, so he's doing it all on his own. I will admit it feels a little slow because we're used to maybe faster paced things at this point, how people craft movies and media and everything, right. um, louder, faster, like busier. And it's stripped down. Like it's a very like clean, like stripped down film and story. So there's not a lot. There's not a ton of dialogue. He's not meeting 12,000 people on his journey either. There's only meeting a certain amount of people who are, sh- but they're sharing really deep connections in simple yeah. ways. And the cool thing I like about it, and they did mention this in a couple of reviews I saw, and I agree with it, is that they do tell these stories. When he does meet some people, he'll tell the story about his daughter or about, or about his own past. Instead of like doing a crazy, stupid flashback or whatever, which that's probably what would happen nowadays, he just told the story to these people, and you see the reaction in that person's face while he's telling the story, which is a lot more real than going through a reenactment or whatever the f- Yeah, I was just thinking, like, it makes you feel like it's about an independence that he was exerting at this age in his life when he's knowing he's not going to have that independence anymore because his hips are bad, his eyesight's bad. So it's this man still holding on to some of that independence because if he was in World War II and he had a family, he had lots of kids and you hear that along the way. You don't get, like you said, like these crazy flashbacks and it's almost like a documentary or you feel like you're watching how it's filmed, like you're there, like kind of viewing it. Like there's these very super up close shots. Actors almost feel like they're not actors, some of them. They seem like real people. Yeah, it feels real at times. But then at the same time, you're still in this David Lynch world. (laughs) (laughs) With those weird twins, like the twin mechanics. The twins. There was that one scene where it starts raining and he goes into that little barn to wait the rain Mm -hmm. down. And then the colors start changing. So it feels like you're like in West Side Story for a second or something Uh like that. And the the deer. Oh, the deer. Yep. Oh, that was weird. You're like, what? That's so odd. <laughs> it's so David Lynch. Like, and then what's weird, like, because it's in Iowa, and like one of the first stops or something like that is the grotto. And I looked it up because there's this shrine there. There's this huge Catholic shrine in Iowa. I think it's called the 
Grotto of Redemption. And it was built in like 1912. And it's made out of shells and stuff. It's really bizarre looking. There's a picture of that in the movie. Like they they show that, this weird American odd shrine, Catholic shrine. Oh, crazy. It's really interesting. <laughs> so it's like, oh. So yeah, he did take something that could have been really... Yeah, they're not watching it if they're not seeing those odd things. And then he has interesting characters, like the daughter who does take care of him. She must be autistic or something because he kind of hints at that they don't think she's smart, but he's all, she's got a way with facts that nobody, you know, would be able to challenge her with. But the thing is, is she stutters really hard. So they think that she's kind of stupid or yeah, something so it's along like that, that was line. And his demeanor, I really liked like at this point in his life, like a different person. Yeah. The unfortunate thing was, I don't know if you looked at the actor, Richard Farnsworth. He committed suicide not long after this because mm -hmm. he found out he had some type of cancer that was going to kill him. And so he was like, I'm going to shoot myself. Yeah, that was very sad to find out because he's actually the same exact age as the man he played, Alvin Strait. They were both born in 1920. They are both... Veterans of World War II, I believe. And Richard Farnsworth, oh God, he did such a good job. I can't Amazing. believe how he was good nominated he was. for Best Actor, right? He's won some awards too. Did yeah. he win it? Yeah, I think he got a couple at least for a straight story. He was nominated for the Golden Globes. He won Best Actor for the New York Critics Circle. Yeah, he won quite a bit and got nominated for quite a bit. Okay, so here's another wrong story about him. Urban legend. They always heard that he was a junkie. He was doing the acting thing, but he wasn't ever making a living off of it. And then finally, a straight story gave him the notoriety that he deserved. And because of that, he got so depressed, he killed himself. That's not true. <laughs> People make up weird stuff. Didn't he do other movies before this? Okay, so he was in quite a bit, actually. There was a little indie film called Gone with the Wind. <laughs> <laughs> the Red River. Another small film called The Ten Commandments. <laughs> so he had had notoriety before this film. Yeah, yeah, but you know how people are. People just make stuff up. Yeah, but the reason why he did commit suicide because he was, was in really in a lot of pain. That's so sad. But he did, I mean, like, the last film he did was pretty was amazing. So Groundbreaking. I saw pictures of the real Alvin Strait and his brother, and the actors they chose looked a lot like them. Really? So, okay, yeah, so, so. <laughs> the brother, he's in a lot of other David Lynch films, so. Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, he's in a couple other ones, too. Yeah, but he was really good. He deserves all the credit he got for it. It's unfortunate that he did commit suicide, but I guess when you're at that age, too, and you know you're going to die, and, and I'm not making up for him or anything, but... Or, of a terminal illness that may be very painful, you can see why someone might speed up the process and choose to go out how they want. Yeah, instead of just being high on morphine. Or or having to do chemo or something, oh, or, God, or surgeries no. or something. When you're getting older, that's even harder to deal with. Yeah, that's a bigger pill to swallow. Yeah, mm -hmm. Why would you want to deal with all that while you're just, you should just be happy doing what you do or whatever? We have to have better palliative care systems. <laughs> 
<laughs> so hopefully it's changed since then. It's yeah. been 20 years, so hopefully it's better. Technology's better. In my ex-wife, she worked for Hospice by the Bay, which was end-of-living care. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it didn't sound that fun to be doing a gig like that. But it's mostly they just give them morphine. Yeah. And they exactly. snow them out until they pass away. It's unfortunate, but... It anyway. is. How did this end up on our list? I think I mentioned it once a couple of podcasts back. And I, I figured remember. this might be... <laughs> A pretty good introduction into a David Lynch film. I mean, I know Wild at Heart and the other ones are a lot more David Lynch than this, but I figured this would be a good one to get you into. Yeah, I think he handled it well. I think if someone else would have done it, it would have gotten too sentimental and hallmarky almost. And I think he gave the characters... I don't know, probably like more true to who they are. Some of it feels a little bit caricature-like of the like the small town, but in a sweet way. It reminded me of how like Moonstruck was handled um, with some of the characters where you really love them, but they're a little bit over, not overacting, but a little bit exaggerated. So it's, but it's charming. Like you like it. Yeah. Well, I guess David Lynch and Mary Sweeney at the time when they were dating, she has relatives over in Wisconsin. So they would go over there quite often. And there was a time when he spent about a couple months over there. So he really got that small town vibe from it. And he kind of got it, which is what you need to do when you're a director. Yeah, no, I really liked it. I'm glad I watched it. I actually watched it in two parts because I just got a little antsy. So it's like, you need to want to watch it and sit still and, and watch a movie. Yeah, I saw it in the theater when it came out. And it was like, it was pretty amazing. Of course, spoilers. Okay, he does get to see his brother. The look on his brother's face when he realized how stupid he was to go see him was absolutely amazing. It was pretty real. And again, it's not like a Hallmark movie with like all over the top dramatics, but it's so simple and subtle. It gets you. It's like yeah. so emotional in this very subtle way. Um, and these two old men like reuniting these brothers. I think he said, did you really drive that to see me? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, yeah. Oh, you're like, oh, he did. He, did. <laughs> like, he realized oh. all this he went through to see him. And that was really mm -hmm. amazing. And he needed to do that for that repair of their relationship. Right. Because if he just drove up, I don't think that would have repaired the relationship. He really needed to like go through this hardship to make it through. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I liked it. We watched it on, we rented it on Amazon Prime. That's right. It was four bucks. Totally worth it. Yeah, it was worth it. I almost might buy it. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see anyway we'll be right back and uh yeah <laughs> storygram network hello welcome to one media one media i'm your host takeshi and with me i have santos and we take two pieces of media and we take a deep dive on them kind of we just talk about it kind of hi my name is laura lee and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? 
It's the intersection of possibility, where what-ifs and why-nots collide. Some on the cutting edge, others on the cutting room floor. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. Hey, podcast fans, I'm Jeff Davis. Through the safety of your earbuds, Bluetooth speaker, or car stereo, join me as I venture out on the wine road. Aiden offers up practical and helpful tips to help you live a more joyful life. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed on a whim on a lonely Wednesday. Storygram Network. And we are back, and we're going to talk about the most famous supervillain ever, MF Doom, and we're going to talk about the album, Mmm Food. It was produced by Count Bass, D Mad Lib, MF Doom, and PNS. And yes, they're all different people. It was released November 16th of 2004. It is 48 minutes and 49 seconds. And the singles were One Beer and Hoe Cakes. it is a concept album and it's things that you find on a picnic or at a picnic table it features count d bass pns and also there was someone else that to me it sounds like angelica angelica yes county bass angelica foresight wise mr fantastic and I'm sure everybody knows who MF Doom is, so I'm not really sure if I really need to get into too much history because he recently just passed away. A little bit. Do some recap. All right. All right. MF Doom. He is also known as Daniel Dumal, and he's from London, England. He was born July 13th of 1971, and he passed away on Halloween of 2020. Some people actually think that he's still alive. Well, we'll see. <laughs> like, how did he die, though? Like, is it a mystery? Aneurysm. Oh, he's young. Yeah, supposedly. He also has a couple different acts, like King Giodora, Victor Vaughn, Metal Fingers, Doom, and Metal Face. I think Victor Vaughn is the younger 18-year-old who looks up to MF Doom. And King Ghidorah, he is a three-headed monster. <laughs> and it's all pretty good. His original group was KMD, and he was known as Zev Love at the time. He was in this group with his brother, and his brother got killed in a car accident. And the label dropped Dumal at the time, and then no one knows what really happened to him. A lot of people think he was homeless, or I heard he was homeless, but he came back as MF Doom. And he is known as your favorite rapper's favorite rapper, and this is very true. (laughs) And so I figured, well, we should listen to an MF Doom album because he is pretty well known. He did just pass away. He has other ones, like... Operation Doomsday was the first album and Take Me to Your Leader, but 
my buddy said food or is his favorite or the one that he did with Mad Lib is called Mad Villainy, which I also heard that was like amazing too. But I figured we should do this, do this one. The cool thing about this album is like it has all these weird cartoon samples from the 70s and 80s and maybe a little bit before and they loop it and it sounds all crazy and sometimes some of the the samples are a little bit off time but it works <laughs> i dig it i listened to it on loop last night and it just flowed everything just worked out well none of it really bothered me and the more i listened to it the more i just kind of got into the album it's a very easy listen too i've seen so many videos of mf doom even before he passed away about how brilliant his rhymes are and like when he stitches it all together there's nobody else that has done it like him you don't really think about it though because it flows so easily and you don't go oh yeah this guy's the most brilliant thing ever since sliced bread but when you actually kind of listen to it you're like whoa he's kind of next level here that's a good point to make because i did not know mf doom before his untimely death and i'm not well versed in rap music really i listen to like pop rap music so it's like i listen to easy rap music so i didn't dislike it i listened to it twice i feel like i have to listen to it a couple more times to really get into it so it's very easy to listen to like it wasn't like you had to skip anything or um yeah. that way like it flows like you said i feel like i don't get it like i'm not in the club so it's like <laughs> i don't know what the samples are i don't know what they're referring to so i feel like i would need to do a little more work to understand the album so then really appreciate it if that makes sense because it's not dancey it's not easy like how i said like i listen to like easy rap <laughs> music where i can just get yeah bounce around to you and have fun or whatever it reminds me of that time period though the early 2000s it reminds me of like dr octagon type genre and i liked dr octagon and i was like oh is this kind of like that where there's like different aliases and samples and experimentation so i appreciated that yeah definitely yeah dr octagon the gynecologist is like one of my favorite hip-hop albums ever so So damn good okay so the one thing i did have to get over was it's really lo-fi and it sounds like sometimes they're just like finger tapping the drums and and you're like, oh, okay, this is kind of strange, but it kind of grows on you. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. The first time I heard it, some of it was kind of irritating. Like, I was like, oh, this sample just keeps repeating. And like you said, it's a little bit off and it's simple. Like, it's like you'd think they would have layered it or did something else. I don't know the technical <laughs> terms for it, but I was like, oh, this is very simple. But then when I listened to it the second time, it did start growing on me. And I think if I gave it a little more time and I would like to listen to some of the other albums, it didn't make me not want to listen to more. It made me think of like the term New York rap. My partner said this. It's more about storytelling. Yeah, but it's storytelling about being a, a villain and food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, versus like, you know, like other rap music that is about just dancing and being stupid or yeah, whatever. Yeah. The funny thing about MF Doom 2 is he would have a show and then he wouldn't even show up and he would have these impersonators come up as him. They were called Doom Bots. Exactly what a supervillain would do. And then people would get pissed and they would destroy the place. Would they do the show? Yeah. Does he wear like a mask or something? How would they not know it's him? 
Yeah, he always wears a mask. Okay, so he would send in other people <laughs> yes. dressed up like him. And then he wouldn't do the show, though. Like he They just... would do the show, but then people were like, this is an MF Doom, and they would get pissed. Yeah. Was it like they were lip-syncing it or something? I think they just could tell by the tone of the guy's voice that it wasn't him or something That's like that. Crazy. It's pretty funny. I mean, yeah. But so he, it's it, more of that kind of experimental art meets rap music kind of thing going on. <laughs> Performance. The art. only thing that people know about him really is like the band that he was in before. And then the music that he releases. He's only done like two interviews within the last 15 years or whatever. And now that years. makes sense why people think he could possibly still be alive. Yes. <laughs> Maybe one of his Doom bots died and not him. <laughs> yeah, they did all this math. There was like mathematical equations of numbers and all this other stuff. And they're like, no, he's still alive, man. Why would he die on Halloween? Da -da 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 -da. Yeah. He always wore the number 31. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, oh, no. Oh, no. Everyone's going crazy on YouTube video. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Conspiracy yeah. about MF Doom's death. Uh, maybe he just had enough with the pandemic. <laughs> it's, like... it's unfortunate he did pass away because mm -hmm. his catalog is pretty good. And this is definitely like a good starter. I mean, maybe we should have gone into Mad Villainy. You might have appreciated that one more. I think I will next. I think I'll put that on the list. <laughs> no, really. Like, I'm yeah. not sure. Like, it, so it wasn't like I listened to it. was like, oh, I'll never listen to this again. It's more like, oh, I need to understand it more. And then I'll <laughs> yeah. appreciate it more. If that Because I didn't know. I was going in blind. Totally. I mean, maybe we could review that sometime down in the future or something. Mm -hmm. Because I heard that one is just absolutely amazing. I mean, from every hip-hop artist that you probably could think of, they all give mf doom props and did he did he stay in england or did he no he lived over? in the east coast he came over here i'm sorry i guess i didn't mention that no i don't think i heard it um where like where east coast or i think like new york okay that makes sense see as soon as they moved over after his brother passed away, he lived over here, I think, anyway. He always wore, like, New York Nets shirts. So I'm going to go through a couple of my favorite oh, yeah. songs because I think there's so many good ones, too. So I personally think Mr. Fantastic, especially in this, is Del the Funky Homo Sapien. To me, it sounds like him. And the weird thing is, is Del knows, and he's talked to MF Doom before, he's hung out with him before, but they've never done anything together. MF Doom has done stuff with Cool Keith, which is Dr. Octagon, and so it kind of trips me out that if they knew each other, they never did anything together. So I think he's Mr. Fantastic. Rap Snitch Knishes is probably one of my favorite songs on this album. Yo. MF Doom. Mr. Fantastic. Mr. Fantastic. Villain. What up, nigga? Ain't nothing. What's the word? It's cracking, boy. Same old shit, okay? Man. Rap snitches, man. Shit is bugged out, man. Oh, man. Niggas running their mouth. Telling everything. Everything. 
rap snitches Telling all their business Sit in the court and be their own star witness Do you see the perpetrator? Yeah, I'm right here But ain't around Get the whole label center for years Uh, rap snitches Telling all their business Sit in the court and be their own star witness Do you see the perpetrator? Yeah, I'm right here Fuck around Get the whole label center for years uh, Tight profile, low Like eight and paid in full Attract heavy cash Cut the game centrifugal Mr. Fantastic Long go like elastic Got my life with twin blocks That's made out of plastic if that is not Dell, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows who he is. Oh. <laughs> but he doesn't claim it. No. He mm. doesn't claim it. I mean, he wouldn't. That's the thing. He wouldn't claim it. <laughs> so I think it's him. Prove me wrong. Right? We need, like, the investigation. <laughs> yeah. Like, once again, one of these things that, like, nobody knows who it is or whatever because they just made this little world. And that's what's so cool about it. My other favorite song, I think it's One Beer. I get no kick from champagne. Beer alcohol doesn't thrill me at all. Tell me why shouldn't it be true? I get a kick out of brew. There's only one beer left. Rappers screaming all in our ears like we're deaf. Tempt me, do a number on the label. Beat up all the MCs and drink them under the table like it's on me. Put it on my tab, kid. However you get there, foot it, cab it, iron horse it. You leave it on your face, forfeit. Across the mic, hold it like the heat. He might toss it. Told her, tell him they stole it. He told her he lost it. She told him get off it, and a bunch of other more. It's up, getting money. DTs be getting no new leads. It's like eating watermelon. Stay spitting new seeds. Mr. Weed, give me some of what he drooping. That is a ridiculous verse. Come on. <laughs> what the hell? The way he just weaved all that together. <laughs> wow. And then that music, though, sounds so familiar. The sample loop. Yeah, definitely. I don't know where that one came from, but a lot of it came from like the Fantastic Four cartoons, the Spider-Man cartoons. <laughs> but that does sound like it came from like, say, some disco track or something like that. Yeah, I feel like someone else has used it since then, though. It was most likely probably like that one guy. <laughs> exactly. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Now that I've listened to it on loop like six times, I'm like in love with this album. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's just, you have to give it time. That's how I felt. It was like, I'm not, I don't dislike it. I just needed more information and it needs more time. Yeah, it needs a little bit more time to sink in. Now that he's passed away, but like they probably would have even done it even if he was still alive, but now he's passed away. There's probably going to be classes on mf doom and on his verses his production and everything too because this it's have you just heard that <laughs> verse of one beer that was stupid what? <laughs> it was so crazy and that was the single yeah yeah that was so good i can't even believe it was just some ah my god but it does sound so easy like he's not trying that's how it sounds yeah him and i think biggie he made it seem really easy too when he flowed I'm sure there's more i i can't think of it right now but this is just done off of some lo-fi thing 
And that's what I love about it. Do you have any favorites or you don't yet? I don't yet. I'll pick one more. <laughs> Think Guinnesses. Running desperately low on food, they were forced to turn back. Shaitan never came so ill, he got skill. Met a brother from the grill that gave my spine chills. All 33 nerves, controlling my curves. Common sense just swerved every time I got served. Stress, frustration, empty rhetoric. Cold as winter in Connecticut. Compassion lacking deficit. Thought it was love like sent from above. You're not a soulmate. With ways and actions of a primate. Who by lower senses come and think of it. And, you know, the problem is, is that's just one verse. <laughs> I actually liked that song. Yeah, that, that song's was really good. I was like, I remember it popped out to me. I don't know what else to say about it, but it is a pity he passed away. And maybe there'll be more work coming out sooner or later. Who knows? I hope <laughs> and there's so. a lot of stuff to look into of his. He has oh, a yeah. pretty good discography. <laughs> He left a lot of music behind. He left a lot of music behind. There's Danger Doom. There's King Ghidorah. <laughs> so you could definitely find a lot that you'll like. Anyway, check it out. And you can find me at Glitch Unicorn on all social medias. And you can find me at Sister Santos on Instagram. All right. We'll see you next week.